Hey, just wanted to hop in your ears and let you know I am so fucking thankful that you decided to listen to this podcast today. I appreciate you so much. If you have any feedback for me, uh, good, bad, the ugly, the beautiful, please hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Hop in my DMs. uh, Send me a message. I'm always engaging with people and I just want to hear from you about how this affected you personally. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I wasn't joking. I'm in my closet. <laughs> How's the sound? It sounds sounds great. I think it's awesome. It sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, that's really nice. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I'm stoked. So what are you doing? We're doing a podcast? Did you make a podcast? Yes. This I'm just recording it, and then we're going to strip it, and this will be the podcast. Perfect. Awesome. I'm so stoked. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? How's the closet? <laughs> <laughs> so what? I was, I was recently on a podcast um, for my friend in Ireland, and her husband's a sound engineer, yeah. and I was in my, my spare bedroom where I have my like desk set up. And he was like, it sounds echoey. Can you go somewhere else? And I've seen people like record in closets. I'm like, yeah, I'll go in my like closet. He's like, that's perfect. And uh, yeah, he taught me how to like, you know, optimize the sound. And yeah, so this is, yeah, if you, the less echoey, the better. Right, right. I, I have heard that the sounds, like you want the cloth, or whatever, to absorb the sound. So that way, it, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, I get it. I yeah, know. yeah, right. totally. How are you? How's married life? Married life's good. Married life is new and challenging in different ways, but we, we, it was like an interesting start. Cause like, obviously we've never been married before. We weren't living together and then just moved in and had to go through like all of that jazz of like, just the adjustment figuring, period. Yeah. 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 And we didn't have a honeymoon, which sucked ass. And so, yeah, like there was no time to like make it normal. It was just like get married and then thrown back in normal life. But now that it's, we've been together for a few months it's a lot better that's awesome I mean I feel like every couple goes through that yeah yeah I would say so right like it's just yeah like you yeah said, it's an adjustment period yeah so we yeah we, it's we not really good or bad it's just different right exactly it's it was change and obviously it's like you know we just did the best we could trying to to mitigate that change so it was fine totally yeah so awesome congrats yes. again anyways like Again, the whole point of the podcast was really, again, the podcast is called My Therapist Friend, just to help really make therapists a little bit more approachable and destigmatize mental health. Because obviously, there's with so much conversation, like people talk about mental health, and that's great. People are more open to it, and people don't ignore depression and anxiety and all these kind of things. But there's still a fuck ton of stigma around seeing a therapist around people being broken. Totally. And so my hope is like, well, let me just talk to therapists and show them how, show people how human they are. And really, I think it, I'm, I'm hoping obviously it acts as like a double benefit where it's like, yeah, I'll be able to like get people who have, who don't know these therapists and just expand, expand their brand and they get to meet people. And yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you can monetize this as well. Yeah. Or when point. you're licensed, you could get clients through this. Right. You know? at, yeah. At some point. That's that would be ideal and amazing. But that's 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 down the road. That's that's me dreaming yeah. immensely large. And so I don't yeah. think it's that large. I think it's tangible. I think you're you can totally right. do it. You're so nice. Totally I, tangible. You're still speaking to somebody who's still in their undergrad, so I appreciate your your optimism. <laughs> hey. Listen, it goes by so quick, Marcus. Yeah. So fast, like in a blink. I'm telling you, I know it feels like it's dragging now, but. I'm waiting. It'll go. I'm waiting. And so like, yeah, I guess even to like open up. So for everyone, for people who are listening, people who don't know, you're in Clifton, New Jersey. And your certification is in licensed in clinical social work. And you recently expanded into relationship coaching. And so I guess the start, I guess to start again, because it's a get to know you thing, talk about like your origin story, where you came from, and why the hell did you choose to listen to people all day long? (laughs) I love that. Uh, That sounds awesome. Perfect. 
Um, yeah, I'm actually in Red Bank, New Jersey now. Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what else did you say? Oh, I am probably by the time this is you like post this. I'm also an LCADC. I'm a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor now. Oh, so shoot. that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, my origins. I can get into it, but uh, my origins are in substance abuse, actually. But right. it's, it's like I could talk about how I pinballed to relationships. No, no, no. We have time. So, like, tell tell the story. Awesome. Wait, are we really recording the podcast now? We're gonna be like one, two, three, go. No, it's gone. We're it's recording. <laughs> you're gonna edit the, the first part out i don't know i'm kind of like i like the i like it so far it depends it's just more informal and it's just a conversation so i kind of like it okay all right so we're going we're going now we're rocking and rolling it's live okay so my name is michelle i'm a therapist i'm an lcsw lc licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor almost probably by the time it's supposed to i will be my uh i just recently got approved um okay so my story why do i want to be a therapist uh, like everyone says, I want to help people, <laughs> but it's so much more, it's, it's deeper than that. Right. I, I believe that I'm an empath. I feel like I'm really in tune with the emotions and experiences of others and empathies. Uh, I, I think to the degree that empaths are able to feel empathy, I feel like it's a gift, but I feel like empathy, everyone can experience it. Well, most people, right. Except sociopaths but most people experience empathy right and I, I think um you know that's probably one of the most important things to possess as a human being is, is empathy yeah. for other people so um I don't know I just always been I love people I've always been gravitated for people and um I just wanted to help people transform their lives and uh get help for their mental health issues so like in your work, my like, journey specifically like trauma right like as a people person, you didn't, you didn't want to just stop at like a salesperson or like, you know what I mean? Like you went for like, let's go to the deep shit. Oh, hell yeah. All right. So here's how I got to trauma, right? Okay. I always been fascinated since I was in middle school. I've been fascinated with addictions. Fascinated. I thought it was so interesting how uh, the brain worked on substances and how people got addicted. Right. And I mean, there's like catastrophic consequences of addiction. And yet, despite these catastrophic consequences, people still use. I just like, I want to know all about right. it and I want to really help people. So I started out in substance abuse. All my internships in therapy school were all revolved around substance abuse, right? I was in uh, treatment centers. So what I found was a lot of people who were using substances were also in violation of the law, right? So they were either on probation or they've been in trouble with the law. So my substance abuse niche kind of branched out to forensics. And I started counseling people who both had substance abuse issues and who were involved with uh, uh, the courts. Mm -hmm. And then when I dug a little deeper, well, why are people using substances to numb, to right. hope right. their feelings from what trauma, right? So I kind of started ping-ponging from substance right, abuse right. to forensics. Why are people in this situation even to fucking begin with? Can I curse? Even to begin with? You fucking curse. <laughs> even to begin with is trauma, right? So then... I started um, getting a trauma specialty. Mm. And then from there, I saw how much people suffered from unresolved trauma and how that affects right. their relationships, who they choose as partners. Then I became fascinated with why is the divorce rate so high? Yeah. Why are people in unhappy relationships? And then they have offspring, right? They have kids, right? <laughs> and then that trauma gets passed to the generations. And I became fascinated with that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what led me to here, uh, specializing in relationships and dating now as a coach, but also using my clinical background as a therapist um, and working with, with trauma. Uh, I feel like it, it's everything, right? Yeah. So that's mostly what I do now, trauma, relationships, and dating. Nice. And so like you went from like, you, you really like pulled out and basically pulled this yarn and went all the way back from like just deep trauma to or addictions down to how they're created and where they start and where they originate did you did you like I don't know this might be personal again just going right for it like did you no, go for it 
did you grow up around people with addictions? Because I'm like, if you're that fascinated at a young age, it's like, what the fuck did you see? <laughs> yeah. So actually, it's so funny. No, no one in my family is an addict. Um, however, my dad is a psychologist. Wow. So he would kind of come home with his stories. And I um, gravitated toward um, like chicken soup for the teenage soul books and cute kind of got exposed <laughs> to stories of addiction that way and just general mental health you know some uh depression anxiety things of that nature so uh yeah I people always ask me that too I don't most people who I work with and in, in treatment centers they did have some sort of personal connection with it but I just felt my calling to to work with people and substance right. abuse and that's why so, like out. what did you say like obviously being inspired by your that by your dad then like wanting to like walk in his footsteps and just admiring him mostly yeah no definitely for sure nice. absolutely there was a, a lot of that and um, just really looking up to him and seeing right. how he helped people and imagine you uh, so then we went to practice together what's up I would imagine you guys have like an amazing relationship we do we do he's my best friend he's awesome yeah that's so cute. And so like, obviously like, cause so many people don't have that. And like you said, most addictions and most traumas come from poor family environments. Like what was you and your dad like growing up then? Um, he worked a lot. So I'm also an immigrant kid. So my dad came here from Greece uh, when he was about six or seven years old, but I feel like he kept a lot of the immigrant mentality Um, so he worked so much and missed a lot of my childhood because he was working. So the time I did get to spend with him was so precious and awesome. And then he finally started to pull back from work in my teenage years. And that's when I wanted nothing to do with him. But then it's funny around like 16, 17, 18, I came around again and, and we've been close ever since. Oh, that's so nice. And you see you guys work together at some point? Yeah, so uh, that's where I started my career in private practice with him. Crazy. It was, was there yeah. any work, work conflict? Like you guys rubbing each other the wrong way? We definitely needed to have boundaries, that especially because I was still living at home in the beginning. I, I moved oh. out within the year. But um, yeah, there definitely <laughs> needs to be like, I'm home now. Please don't talk to me about work. And then a lot of times we, we spent time talking about work when you know there was so much other shit going on in our lives we we stopped talking about our personal life but we really we bond over what we do we both I mean he's in his 60s and he's still working I don't think he'll ever stop um so we're both really really passionate about what we do nice that's amazing and so then you specialize you're specializing in addictions but then you also are passionate about relationships like I've seen you post about relationships love your I love your garbage your garbage Tuesdays relationship garbage Tuesday straight trash out there on the internet seriously like seriously it's bad too like yeah like it's I love your post so much because I'm like I've heard this before and people actually believe this shit and it's fucked up yeah people believe this shit and I'm like what so I'm out here to set the record straight Marcus (laughs) And why, like, why, why the transition? Because obviously you went through a lot of work going through social work and then school and graduate school and all those kind of things to become a therapist and then to move into relationship coaching, which to a lot of people can sound like a step backwards or downwards. Yeah, totally. So I, I still am a therapist. I still practice as a therapist. I will never knock therapy. Therapy is amazing. If you're listening to this and you're on the fence about going, fucking go this is the sign (laughs) um but I feel like therapy is very especially with like insurance it's just very boxed in at times um where I feel like coaching you could be more creative um and I really believe in the power of sharing your story to help others which therapy you can't really do that right it's you can't really reveal too much about yourself. And if you do, it has to be very calculated to build rapport or help the patient in some way or the client in some way. Um, So I do both. I will probably always do both to some extent. And I use my clinical background uh, with coaching, but I love therapy, big fan of therapy. 
but it's just it could be kind of like boxed in sometimes yeah like tell because like again most i think most people who are going to be listening to this are people who are very much like people who aren't even studying psychology who like to follow both of us and so what is like what is that box what are you like as a therapist you obviously understand your limitations more than what your clients would like can you unpack that yeah sure um so i love meeting people out and about like going for walks on the boardwalk therapy (laughs) you can't you have to meet in an office or you have to meet online and if you're billing for insurance you have to indicate like where you met right um again kind of like the boundaries there's very very clear boundaries with therapy i mean i feel like our generation of therapists you know you and i are both in our late 20s i feel like we're kind of challenging that whole like so tell me more about that and you know tell me how you you know it's like rigidity right where it's just so clinical and you know that's really off-putting to people um I do feel like our our generation of therapists are challenging that and and that makes me feel a lot better to kind of embrace therapy but in school that was like a big no-no like you can't just you know, you have to put on this like clinical front and whatever. And I feel like, uh, I didn't like that with therapy. I wanted to be, wanted to be more like this, right. Mm -hmm. These casual conversations. Um, so that's another reason why I kind of branched out into, to coaching and there's more things you could do with it, like workshops and online courses and retreats and whatever that Mm -hmm. therapy, there's more like ethics around those things. So. Right. I was like, if I remember correctly, I'm like, First of all, kudos on, I'm pretty sure John Kim follows you, who's like, who's yeah. the angry therapist, which I'm like, that's pretty yeah. badass, which I don't know how he's you- He's the bomb. I had a coaching session with him. He's incredible. Is he? Okay, yeah. I'm like, I know of him and I've definitely dove into some of his material, but I'm like, but he meets with people out in public. Is he not, and he's the angry therapist. Is he not a therapist either or do you know? So he's the therapist, but like with therapy, you kind of have to walk these- boundary ethics lines so in that capacity he has to be a coach using his clinical background right but has to label himself as a coach and this is a coaching session i don't think he practices therapy anymore so if you're you are going to practice therapy it has to be more in this like um office setting again all about the client very minimal self-disclosure um things like that and i think even like I'm assuming you know who Esther Perel is, yeah? Love her, queen. Yeah, fuck, she slays. She's like goddess among men, for real. She's the real deal. Um, but like totally. she, she has workshops and stuff, doesn't she? Are those considered still considered coaching? But uh, yeah, that's not engaging in a therapeutic relationship. Hmm, that's intriguing. And so like, I guess obviously like the implication behind that is why, like, why the rigidity like why like why why wouldn't you be able to even talk about yourself then to your clients ethics it's it's a lot of ethics um any self-disclosure you do have in therapy which i feel like coaching should follow that similar pattern too but um it has to be for the highest benefit of the client Mm -hmm. um and it's there's a lot of like professionalism in it which again i think is super important we should especially if you're dealing with trauma like i wouldn't really dive deep into trauma as a coach like i think a therapist is trained you need training Mm. to work with trauma you're really dealing with some serious emotions and triggers that people have when it comes to trauma if you're not properly trained you could really do some damage to people so um I do think that the rigidity of the clinical world is important when it comes to those things Um, and mental illness too and personality disorders and things like that really do require those ethics and and strict boundaries. So coaching is more goal oriented. So that's why you're not working with mental illness per se. Um, or like a diagnosis quote unquote though I don't like slapping diagnoses on people but um, yeah yeah, I guess does that make sense yeah and maybe maybe this is outside of your scope because I'm gonna ask a selfish question like is it not 
Why? Is it not the same for marriage and family therapy then? Because obviously, like, it's not clinical. It's I wouldn't like I'm not wouldn't be social work. Would the ethics be more lax in that sort of field? For marriage and family therapy? Yeah. No, I mean no. They'd be just as stringent as uh, social work for sure. Because you're not working with clinical. You're not. You're not. You know. You're not diagnosing addictions or you know depression or anything like that. So like. As an LMFT? Yeah. Are you not? Huh? Hell yeah, you are. Oh, see, see, I'm fun. I'm new. See, this is this is good. This is learning. Like sitting this, back. Yeah. This is learning. I see. This is the things that I don't even know, and I study some of this stuff. I don't know these things. LMFTs totally can diagnose and bill and all of that for sure. In Canada, I don't. Maybe not in Canada, but in the United States, a hundred percent. Oh shit. See, yeah, this and that's a bummer. Oh, LMFTs. LCSWs, LPCs, um, licensed mental health counselors, we're all on the same umbrella. Wow. We can all do much of the same thing. Our trainings are just slightly different, right. but at the end of the day, we're learning the same shit. Interesting. Especially when it comes which is like almost sad because like again like what if you don't want to work with clinical patients <laughs> like if you like relationships for example it's like that's a bummer that there's no sidestepping you know what i mean like you can't get away from the clinical diagnosis because it's not because i think the assumption would be then that people who have issues in their marriage have some sort of clinical issue but obviously that's not the case like some people just want to talk about their relationship yeah well that's tough too because a lot of insurance companies don't cover couples counseling for that reason because it's there's no like clinical diagnosis oh okay so a lot of it is um you know private pay right okay so yeah that makes sense damn there's there's just so much like interplay between government and insurance and then the certificate like state certification and like the psychology board and like regulation i'm like this stuff kind of feels like a headache and i would imagine for everyone even listening who's like looking like what the fuck what what is like what is an lmft like what like you know i mean like there's so many different things and then then you even say oh it's the same thing and they do the same things and yeah it's this shit's totally so for anyone listening like the biggest question you want to ask when you're looking for a therapist is are you licensed Mm. Are you fully licensed? Because then you can, I mean, not to say I had, a, I was practicing with a provisional license, but um, there's some benefits actually to seeing someone who has a provisional license, like a LSW, licensed mm-hmm. social worker or LAC, licensed associate counselor, um, because you know that they're getting supervision for your case. It's kind of like having like two therapists almost. Um, the other therapist might catch things yeah. that maybe the primary therapist wouldn't. But at the end of the day, they're still licensed and they can still make diagnoses. So you just want to ask, are you licensed? Right. Fair. And yeah, so I guess, I guess like the implication behind all that is, do you like, first of all, technology is changing. Corona basically Mm -hmm. put everyone on house arrest. So everyone's at home Mm -hmm. on their computers and their phones anyways. You know, the ethics around psychology are so stringent, as you've said, do you, like, do you have predictions or ideas of what the field's going to be like in the next three to five, 10 years, as far as like, is it, like, and that's the thing, like, I think even like an example with that would be social media, right? Like social media comes out, it's so easy to buy ads that actually work. And at the same time, everyone thinks that they're a social media star because they can click buy now. And the same idea with as mental health kind of hits the mainstream, people are like, oh, just meditate and like, you know count your blessings and stuff and everything's going to be gravy when obviously as a toxic positivity right exactly and so like where where do you see the the pitfalls and the the field going like how the fuck is this going to play out yeah uh, honestly me and my dad kind of have difference of opinion here because we've talked about this i personally think telehealth is here to stay Um, my dad thinks no, because he thinks that insurance companies are name of the game is not to pay out. So, um, telehealth really helped people get access to treatment, which is an incredible thing, but that Mm -hmm. means that insurance companies are paying out more. So he thinks that they're going to make it, the insurance companies are going to try and make it complicated for people to 
get help so they don't have to pay out, which well, is yeah. just the state of the United States and where yeah, we're I mean, at with health. America is kind of fucked. <laughs> America is kind of fucked, man. Totally. However, I'm not as cynical. I do think telehealth is here to stay. I think if enough therapists and clients get behind it and really write to our legislators to Mm -hmm. make it permanent, especially in New Jersey or, you know, state by state, um, I do think it's here to stay. I've been telehealth completely since March and most of my clients love it. They love that they can talk to me from anywhere as long as, you know, they have the privacy for it. And I always ask if, they have, if they're in a private place. They love that they could just, you know, hop in their car or uh, take a lunch break or whatever to talk to me versus having the commute time. Mm-hmm. They're in their own safe space and a place where they feel safe already. Yeah. So uh, it's super convenient. So a part of me thinks that it is here to stay. And companies like Better Health, yeah they're already doing it right and do you know anything about better help because i don't i do a little bit some of it i'm like like they have texting therapy which i feel like defeats the whole purpose of therapy i feel like therapy is all about the human connection hmm. um but they do also have video face to face but none of it is um like actual in-person based right which i'm assuming better help it is still a therapy practice so they got to be approved by a board and they have their ethics all in line yeah yes and no so because it's all private pay and they don't accept insurance they kind of don't have to follow the extra ethics oh, okay. that insurance kind of requires okay. the only thing i'm not entirely sure how they're getting away with is if you are let's say licensed in new jersey you mm-hmm. could be talking to someone in california which right. technically is against our ethics we're only allowed to have clients in the state that we're licensed in now, but, if I was in New Jersey and I was licensed in California and my client was in California, that's okay. Right. And so I guess, so like, I don't know, they're trying to grasp this. BetterHelp is basically because it's private pay, they don't have the same stipulations and regulations. And so it's based, from my understanding, it is licensed, you know, counselors and therapists. However, even though they're licensed, they don't have this, like they may require it to hire them, but they're not technically like as you, as you are, like they're not practicing as a therapist as much as they are a coach in those roles. I think they're all licensed actually. I hmm. think, don't quote me on this. I think they're all fully licensed mental health professionals. I don't think any of them are coaches. No, but I mean like, but like, so like they're licensed as, as like their position, but if they're acting in a way that, you know, like the texting thing, like that's not, I don't think that would be considered ethical by the Yeah, I don't. Parents. So like, totally. that would be a coaching practice, no? <laughs> I would think so. I don't know how they're getting away with it. I yeah. don't. I'm going to do some research. I should probably look into this. Yeah, I'd be really interested to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had some clients, I had two clients do online therapy uh, through mm-hmm. BetterHelp before they came to me. Um, yeah. One of my clients actually, because he wasn't improving and wasn't feeling better, that's when she suggested he actually see a face-to-face therapist. Do you see a difference? And for in-person versus online? Yeah. With my clients, no, just because um, most of them don't have any serious mental illness where like schizophrenia or bipolar or the like. Um, so I don't have to make sure they're taking their medication. I don't have to watch to see if they stop taking their medication and now they're um, decompensating, right? Hmm. So for most of my patients, um, I really don't notice any difference besides some of them just prefer face-to-face. My dad, he deals with more serious mental illness. So, um, you know, for some of his patients, he had to either refer out to to see in-person therapy just because they're more higher risk. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you going into coaching, just mm-hmm. when, you, when you talk about like your wiggle room, like we're, we're like, I th- again, it's to me being a student and about to go through fucking years of what it takes to become a therapist, you're actually stepping out. Like that seems like a big step. 
huge. Yeah. But you know what? I wouldn't trade my therapy education for anything. I don't regret it. I don't regret that. Like I went the therapy route to start because I feel like it gave me a set of skills that makes my coaching that much more valuable because I have the background and training as a therapist. Right. And so like, I guess what's, what are you hoping to really maximize on that you don't have the ability to as a therapist in the coaching role? Uh, Being able to reach more people because with therapy, I'm just limited to New Jersey. I'm just kind of limited to one-on-one, but you know, the internet, the interwebs (laughs) has really changed the whole helping profession game. And I think it's awesome that, I mean, look at you and me, we connected on fucking Instagram. Like that's so freaking cool. You know, I, I really would love to reach a wider audience and connect people through the internet and, um, you know, have subgroups online, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to open up a Facebook group soon for people who are seeking conscious relationships and conscious coupling. Um, and I feel like it's just easier to do that when you're not limited by just being in your state. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Frick, I'm like, this, like, it's so, it's almost like frustrating. Yeah, it's just straight up frustrating. Like, I'm a student and like going through the process and the world is changing so quickly. And I feel like it only got expedited with COVID. And now I'm like, like, I, I know I'm learning a lot and I'm grateful for it, as you mentioned as well, but I'm like, hmm, like information's free. Information's online. And not that like, I get like, not everyone probably should be going out and just reading textbooks and thinking that they can do therapy. Cause obviously like, you know, it's, it, t- it does take a rigorous commitment to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, coaching, coaching sounds like a decent path to go down. And it's a lot less expensive than taking on tens of thousands of dollars a year. <laughs> You know what though, Marcus, I think they're very different things. Hmm. Therapy, I mean, I get some critics from my colleagues about this. I'm a really big believer, especially with trauma. Hmm. I'm a huge believer in long-term therapy. Okay. It's my personal belief that trauma is super freaking layered. Mm-hmm. Trauma, especially complex trauma, repeated trauma in, in throughout childhood, mm-hmm. um, just takes time to heal and there's so many different pieces to it and I feel like coaching can't touch that right Mm -hmm. there's a place for therapy I mean I've been I still go to therapy every week I'm in in my own therapy for 10 years but I don't really have a coach like a a coach I've been seeing for that long I call my coach only when I really need him so coaching is is more short-term it's goal-oriented it's very specific. It solves a very specific problem. Whereas therapy is just, it's so much more than that. It's, it's deeper. It's, um, you know, really whole healing. Mm -hmm. So I think they just serve two different purposes and it's up to you as you know, human, which, which road resonates and excites you more to serve. Yeah. So you don't, you don't. And both excite me. So that's why I'm doing both. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And so you, obviously, Mm -hmm. I would imagine you don't think uh, therapy is going to be like obsolete. You don't think it's going to be a blockbuster Netflix kind of situation where (laughs) eventually therapy is going to like potentially just lose market share and you're just going to have old guys doing therapy who eventually just die and take the the whole field with them. Dude, I fucking hope not. Just because you read... um... The Body Keeps Score by Vessel Vander, whatever, Vanderkolb, mm. doesn't mean that you've healed your trauma. Mm. Un- unpack, unpack that. You have to keep going because so many people, like, <laughs> mental health is cool now. Like, it's becoming cool and people don't get, like, just because you read it and you know it doesn't mean you're, like, people have, like, that gap between knowing it and living it. And what you're talking about touches on that. Please expand on this. I'd freaking love to because I can't tell you how often I see this. Just because you read the book, just because, like, let's take AA, for example, just because you read all the literature, if you're not actually practicing Mm -hmm. how to stay sober, if you're not working the 12 steps or a treatment program, if you aren't actually processing your feelings and emotions around your trauma with a third party, 
you're not doing the work. Hmm. And the truth is, it takes a lot to change because it's so uncomfortable. So if you don't have support to kind of reassure you and help you process those difficult emotions, it's really hard to change. I can't tell you even how many, like when I was dating, when I was single, how many guys I met who like, you know, talk the, the self love talk and read the books and the shelf help and all of that. Yeah. And then we're displaying completely avoidant behaviors. Mm. So they weren't walking the walk. Right. And that's where I feel like the role of therapy comes in because you have someone holding you accountable for change. Right. And so I get like, even kind of like staying in the ideological lane, like we're in an information age people people have these books these resources all these things why like you meant like you touched on about just being uncomfortable but people people have no shortage of ability to connect with other people to have that support network this is 2020 everyone has at least 500 somewhat friends at least probably 50 in there i would hope 10 percent of those people being actual people you care about or care about you why the hell in your in your stance and in your modest like it's like you know case study of one why are people still not getting it why does there still seem to be like more anxiety more depression more trauma like why i think a couple of reasons i think one where we're like more connected yet disconnected than ever mm-hmm. so like of those 500 friends that you're speaking about how many of them would you call if you were stuck on the side of the parkway out of gas and like didn't know what to do how many of them would you call when you're in the middle of having a mental breakdown and crying your eyes out when you're flooded with emotion and who could actually hold the space for you right Mm -hmm. so i feel like in some ways we've kind of um valued like our values have changed we put value in the wrong things like followers and facebook friends and whatever but what's most important in my opinion is the quality of those relationships and the vulnerability of those relationships so i think that's number one number two i think we're getting woke i think mental health is becoming more normalized yeah whereas like our parents generation and even like culture wise like there's no word for in Greek for anxiety. We just say nervous, like, oh, that person's nervous. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think we're finally being able to be open without stigma of putting labels on things. Right. So instead of like, oh, that person's just an angry person, we're now seeing, oh, that person's angry there's a secondary emotion maybe of anxiety underneath that stemming from unresolved trauma and i think we're starting to become more open and woke to it yeah yeah it's really interesting i i'm taking like a a a sociology course on cities and it's i was taught i actually mentioned it to my wife today like there's so it's so fascinating of in a world where we're more connected than ever and in places like a New York or in LA or, you know, these major, major cities, social isolation is way more rampant. And we bow down and we love the value of convenience and we use our convenience to basically just build a fence around and create our own little world where we can see out, but nobody can get in. And it just makes us alone. And it's in the irony is like, it's a glass wall. You can see everything out and it's like, you know, you're still, you still can see the vastness of the world and you're more connected to it than ever, but no one can touch you and no one can get in because you want to be comfortable. And it's this weird thing of like the, the convention or not conventionality, but the, um, the convenience of everything almost becoming debilitating where it's so convenient that it almost undermines our ability to actually push past the uncomfortable emotions, to push past, you know, the, the difficult things and, I, I don't know. It's again, I think the field of psychology is incredibly interesting because I'm like, I have like, there's so many different directions it can go with such an interconnected world with just the technology that's happening. And then also the emotional isolation that's coming of it. I'm like, this could be really good. It could be really bad. It might be both. I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more there. Like 
especially how connected yet disconnected we are I think in some ways it facilitates these like again these superficial Hmm. relationships and we place value on the wrong things and you know I think deep down we all do just want to be vulnerable and accepted for who we actually are and I feel like we've just especially lost like these in-person villages like neighborhoods and communities um and not to say online doesn't have its place because I I feel like it does especially if you know with really specific problems where it's you know harder to connect with people out and about um but I do feel like we're just so in our phones and we don't talk to the person standing online at the coffee shop anymore and then at the same time we're wondering why we aren't meeting anyone organically (laughs) because we're not putting ourselves out there anymore your face is glued to the square in your pocket yeah that makes sense yeah and I guess like even your take so if you are you giving advice because obviously again like this is giving you like you know free reign here like people like whether it's trauma whether it's culture people are usually responding to the quick fix of like how do I feel okay now how do I feel like how do I calm my shit now and you know running the social media and followers and likes and what you you mentioned superficial so what does it mean and how what does it look like to cultivate the keyword being quality relationships um well I think the superficial would be like it's very easy to admire people who present their best on social media everyone from like influencers to even your friends who maybe like only post um you know about their partner when you know they're saying all these positive things about them but they're not in their home when they get into fights or disagreements or arguments and then you you look at your relationship after you got into a fight and realize like or think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me or my relationship? It doesn't look like these sorts of people, right? So, you know, I think there's that and we can get down on ourselves about that, but we're getting down on ourselves about something that's completely unrealistic and unattainable. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think to cultivate these deeper relationships, it requires us to be vulnerable and put ourselves out there and also kind of have patience with people. I think, especially as a society in 2020, we want everything like you were saying, like now. I want to get better now. I want to feel better now. I want to have the relationship of my dreams right now. And I think that's why, too, a lot of us are attracted to that all-consuming spark that we feel at the beginning of some relationships that are usually dysfunctional. We think it's love because it's just everything right now. So hot and heavy. Yeah, but the truth of the matter is, I think anything that is um, deeper and more meaningful just requires time. So being open with other people and being vulnerable with other people, even if it means risking being accepted and um, just allowing yourself to be in uncomfortable emotions. You don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. That's the thing, right? Yeah, I guess this is probably why Brene Brown is Brene Brown and why we say her first and last name is because like her her whole research on shame and people hiding is exactly that, right? It's people not wanting to be found out, not wanting to be uncovered. And that's probably why her work has been so pivotal. Is it's like, yeah, there's only there's only validity in exposing yourself. There's only the full quality in and embracing the entirety of who you are and the entirety of other people and that means the hardship of both looking at yourself and looking at other people and having grace having understanding having forgiveness and not you know just shoving it down with coping mechanisms or suppression and actually embracing everything oh my god i love that so much yes it's so so freaking true yeah. And and less avoidance too, and more sitting in our comfortable emotions. I can't tell you how many times I like, and that's kind of things I do miss about like the face to face and therapy experience. Is you know you it's just you and your client with no distractions. Mm-hmm. They're not like something's not popping up on their screen, yeah. or they say they got a text message. You know what I mean? Like, it's forty five minutes or to an hour of just like totally undivided mm-hmm. attention and 
I feel like we're missing that. We're so distracted, right? And it's so easy to just like turn to your phone and scroll through Instagram to avoid discomfort. Right. But there's so much wisdom in the in, in uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. And actually I read, I was, because I, I knew I was, we were having this conversation. So I like read through your stuff and I found an interview that you did where you talked about your insecurity as a young like therapist and as a young practitioner. Please share. Because like, I think, again, therapists have like this idea of like, almost holier than thou like you don't want to expose yourself to a therapist because it's like oh not only is their shit in line but they study this shit they know it like and the idea that a therapist is untouchable but obviously you wanted to change that narrative and share about your insecurity so please if you don't mind rehash all of that all of that what all of that that judgment that you that you felt I'd freaking love to. I could talk about this all day. So please cut me off if I'm going on and on. Um, Yeah, I feel like therapy especially is a place where people equate age with experience. Mm -hmm. So especially when I looked younger, I mean, I still look young. I don't get questioned as much anymore. Could be my confidence though went up. But, um, you know, I would get questioned like, oh, you could, you look like you're my, my daughter's age. You look like you're my granddaughter's age. And it would trip me the fuck up because I took that as, and I'm sure they were thinking the same thing. Like, uh, you look like you're five. (laughs) What, how are you going to help me with my problem? Right. Mm -hmm. I got that so much and really had to kind of just like, so I, I did, I tried overcompensating, like, I wore my hair in a bun and I put on extra makeup and I wore blazers and dress pants because I thought that would make me look older. I wore glasses. Like I thought that make me look older and professional. I took out my nose ring um, because I wanted to be seen ultimately as competent. Right. That's what I was most insecure about was that I was new in the field. I looked young as young as shit. And I didn't want people to think that I, I wasn't competent in, in helping them even though that's like my biggest passion was helping this person in front of me. Um, so yeah, I had to, and, and John Kim really helped me with this too. I decided <clears throat> around my mid twenties to ditch all of that and just own my age. Hmm. Right. And if anyone didn't want to see me because of my age, I didn't want to see them. And that's okay. I can understand if people want to see someone older and it wasn't like, it's like really depersonalize it too and you know remind myself that it's not about me and it's okay if someone wants to see someone older but I'm sure there are people out there and I found that there were um that wanted to see someone younger and so I just really decided to own it and I started wearing jeans to work and flops and sweatshirts and like you know do my makeup not do my makeup just like didn't give a shit I just really showed up how I was and sat with my clients as another human being. And I do think there's this notion that that we as therapists have our shit together. I mean, I'll give you an example this week, my client, she was so down and out about how she was responding to the coronavirus. She was like, you know, I'm just feeling so depressed that I can't like do the things that I used to be able to do. And, you know, I was sitting there validating her. And then she was like, what have you been doing? Like she genuinely wanted to know how I've been doing during the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, well, you know what? Not much. (laughs) I've been staying inside a lot and you know, I'm, I'm kind of fucked up about it. Like I'm really upset about it. I love to travel. I'm scared. You know, I'm scared for my, my partner who works in a hospital. I'm scared from friends and family. And this really blows. And you know what she said? Wow. I feel a lot better because I always think that you have your shit together and I feel better that you're feeling the same way as me. Wow. Yeah. So that's where I think, um, you know, to anyone listening, your, your therapist is a person too, and we really do care about you. Mm-hmm. And your therapist is also someone who has gone through their own shit. And if they're a good therapist, they are working on their shit and have been working on their shit and will continue to work on their shit. Right. And okay. I don't know. There's so many different ways I want to go right here, but like, so I guess going back, you. Going back to the beginning, like you, I mean, you mentioned like, um, 
you know, being a young, a young practitioner, owning your age, you know, even, even I think in hindsight, really owning your inexperience and like being okay with that. And, you know, understanding that, you know, it's not the end of the world and you still, you do, you still can add value playing devil's advocate with the conversation we had earlier, you know, how, where, where's that boundary line between, you know, the person who might've even read 20 books on therapy and mental health and isn't certified compared to you who are, you know, who are just young. And then even, you know, worst case scenario, a th- like just a shitty therapist who's like, doesn't practice well. And I've unfortunately had some horror stories or I've heard horror stories of people who are like, oh, my therapist said this and it was really fucked up. Like, yeah, I've, I've been with therapists as a client myself who have been kind of fucked up. Right. And so like, we're like, again, like and you, we mentioned ethics and ethics does what they can to help mitigate as much as possible. Obviously, it's not even it's not going to stop everything. And so like, where's this line between, you know, certification of, you know, PhD, amazing bookworm compared to somebody who's genuinely educated or, or self-educated more or less, but, you know, doesn't, they're, they, they're not certified and you know what I mean? But they, but they genuinely could probably help. Like, is there a middle ground here? Maybe I, as, as a coach, like that'd probably be the role a coach would be in. So how do you, how do you navigate that as a client? Yeah. I mean, I think, and that's why I think therapy is more of an art than anything else. Because I, I don't think it's about so much the books you've read or, or whatever else. I think it's the work you've done yourself. I will preach that across the board, no matter what kind of healer, healer you are, whether you're a therapist or a coach, whatever you're doing, um, your work is so much more powerful that you do with others when you've done the work yourself. And you don't even have to outwardly say that you've done the work to your clients. They'll just know by how you respond to them mm. and the questions you ask and, and how you hold space for them. And I also think it takes a, like a specific kind of person to do this job. Mm. You're called to serve. You're called to hold space. You're called to sit with people in their most vulnerable place in their whole life. And you find joy in it. Yeah. Um, And really at the end of the day, study after study in the therapy world has shown that it's not about what technique you use, like CBT or DBT or motivational interviewing or whatever. What matters the most is the relationship that you have with your therapist. That is the biggest and strongest predictor of the success of therapy is the relationship you have with your therapist. And isn't that like the most human fucking thing ever? Right. right. Do you know why? Like going into that research, why is that so impactful? The relationship? You know yeah. what? I don't know. <laughs> I'd actually be interested. And you know what? As like, like an older, younger therapist now, I used to like hate saying that I didn't know. Cause again, it goes back to like, I'm not confident. Right. But now, like, I like so comfortable straight up saying, like, I have no fucking clue. I'm going to go back and, and read the, the discussion of one of the studies that I uh, found for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll get back to you. Yeah. Because it, it's really, like, to me, I'm like, it's still fascinating because, like, I, I'm an optimist. And, and, like, I, again, still playing devil's advocate here. I'm like, you know, the you look at football coaches specifically, like a coach. A coach doesn't play football but they understand the mechanics and the fundamentals of the game so much so that they can have other people do it and so the irony is like you know you have like this you know slightly overweight old man telling these amazingly talented young guys in their prime how to step how to move and they haven't played football in you know probably almost 20 30 years and so i guess like again pushing that that devil's advocate even further do you would you say that a therapist needs to have experience in what they more or less advise others on because we know it's helpful but is it is it a necessity and what's that balance between understanding compassionately enough to be able to advise others or hey you're you actually don't get it and you think you do and you're causing harm i think the only thing that is important in that regard is that the therapist has done work themselves on themselves, that the therapist has experienced for a significant amount of time, not just a couple sessions, 
but experience what it's like to be a client. Hmm. I don't think necessarily um, that a therapist has to have gone through what their client has gone through. And in fact, if you are a therapist who hasn't done their own work and you see your client going through something that's unresolved for you, you're going to be triggered as fuck. Mm. And you're, you might be biased and not ask the right questions. You might be afraid to go deep with them because you don't want to go there with yourself. Right. So again, not necessarily. And and (laughs) because I didn't have experience with substance abuse, both personally, I've never been an addict. And in my family, I got tons of shit with that from my clients. Um, So yeah, but you know, I said, I can still, if you believe that I can help you and, and you want to accept my help, I'm here to help you. If you don't, that's cool too. Like I totally understand. Mm-hmm. So, but personally, I don't think like you have had to gone through like a divorce to help people with divorce. Okay. Yeah. That, and that's, I think, yeah, that's a very like, I think that scares some people because I think, again, what we were talking about quality relationships and the motivations that people have with their minds and their emotions a lot of people would invalidate that or feel invalidated by that because they would say like you don't know my experience so how can you you know how can you help me and there's like that recoil with people of that self of that shame and self-protection all that kind of stuff um but that actually leads into something i was really hoping to talk about as well because you mentioned getting flack from clients i'm curious if you've like if you could share either some of like some poor experiences with clients obviously within ethics of course or and or what's also be interesting any potential feuds or conflicts you've had with other therapists where they diminished your work or like you said the theory that you practice or like you rely on have you ever gotten flack or like some salt from therapists who are like oh like that shit that's what you do okay you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely have gotten shit from my colleagues about my belief in long-term therapy um, because a lot of them think it's fostering codependency and it's abusive and you're making your client depend on you and need you. And they only believe in, you know, like a six to 18 month or, or max two year therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I really thought about it and I've done the research on it and I just can't get on board with it. I can't, but I respect it. I respect other therapists who, who what, what, believe what is it. Research? Can you, can you like elaborate? Like what, what, cause again, like we're talking about people to, to people who probably don't know the research and the science behind it. What are these mm-hmm. shifts here? Like between long-term and short-term? So like, for example, there, some of the research I did was that clients usually don't open up about serious traumas that they've been through until at least two years into the therapeutic relationship holy shit and that's around the time that they would in short-term therapy would max be getting discharged yeah so you know at short believers in short-term therapy like therapists who believe in that they think oh clients should be able to work through things themselves and I just give them the tools to do that for themselves and and you know autonomy and things like that but and maybe that's okay for some people but I think when we're talking about trauma complex trauma you need a professional to help you get through those tough emotions and you're also super biased to the way you're seeing things and that's where I really think a therapist comes in and can help you see things from a different lens Mm -hmm. that maybe you can't really see because you're in it of course dang yeah I mean two years is a fucking long time two years and you know it in my personal anecdotal experience as a therapist I've seen that as well I've seen clients drop serious bombs on me after like three, four years of our work together, reveal like sexual abuse in childhood. Yeah, after our work together of that length. So I believe it as well. Like I I really do. And, you know, it it just takes time. It takes time. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it takes time for even that person, for the client to realize for themselves, like, oh, this is relevant and I 
it's I need to talk about it right I would say I was gonna say like that probably points back to that that focus on the relationship that you mentioned where the client has to feel as though they're in a safe enough space because I, I wouldn't want to assume that you know clients are just not wanting to do the work obviously they're paying and you know going through the hassle of seeing a therapist but I would, uh, so I would imagine it's you know getting comfortable and building enough connection with a the therapist where they like where they feel that they can open up and trust this person with something that they've never told anyone else which happens to be the stronghold under lock and key that actually holds them down in potentially many other areas in life 110 percent. that's exactly what it is it's it's so much more about like building the trust and again this kind of like circles back to like not everything is instant like things take time relationships take time to develop and the therapeutic relationship is no exception dang yeah so we've talked about client relationships therapist relationships just again to have people get to know you you have a man friend I do have a man friend. He's the fucking best. I love that homie. <laughs> How long have you guys been together? We've been together a little over a year now, but if you asked us about all the shit we've been through together, it's like five years worth of crises. <laughs> oh yeah, didn't he have, did he have COVID? So he works in, a, in the ICU and he worked in the ICU all throughout COVID. Oh, and um, his dad's been really sick in the hospital for the past three months. He's slowly on the mend now, but that has also really tested yeah. our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, you're in a relationship, you know, you do relationship coaching, I guess. What, what are, can you share any challenges or do you feel like you can open up and like, how has that been for you? You know, with, I don't even know your dating history. Did you, were you like, a ladies, a ladies man, or not ladies man, but a, a what is a uh, man, uh, man's lady? Man's lady. <laughs> <laughs> were you a man? Were you men's lady? <laughs> like growing up, did you were you were you a smooth talker? Or like, what's your dating history like? My dating history is I've been in back to back relationships from age fifteen until like twenty six, including an engagement. Whoa! Yes. Let's talk. There's barely about any time in between in between relationships so the most time I ever took consecutively was a year and a half um in between I had one more relationship after my engagement that I kind of like jumped into and it didn't end up working out that was two and a half years and then after that I said you know what I'm gonna make a conscious choice to be single like I need time to myself I need to figure my shit out like I'm in these back-to-back relationships I'm jumping in totally unconsciously like I just real and this is like dude this is, I'm age 20, like that was at 26. I'd already been a therapist for three years. <laughs> like <laughs> therapists, we don't all have our shit together. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I decided to make a huge conscious effort to just be single and like date myself. And then I branched out into dating and I created like a list of qualities that I wanted in a partner that didn't work in the past, like emotional intelligence and capacity and holding space and um, you know, all these things that I realized how important they are in a relationship. And um, I met Andrew on fucking Bumble. No joke. Nice. No joke. We met online. Um, that's why when people like give shade to dating apps, I'm like, but there's a way to use them. And, yeah. and not everyone. Yeah. Shout, out Bumble. Shout out to Bumble. Um, and yeah, it was our whole relationship has been like easy from the start I mean easy in terms of like there was no games there's no bullshit there's mm -hmm. no chasing there was no he texted me at 3 p.m so now I have to wait until 5 to you know I want to look like less available he didn't do that with me I didn't do that with him it was all like super intentional um but that's not to say we haven't had our challenges along the way again like his dad being really sick and um you know me being a therapist and I work I help people all day and even like as an empath and then for him to come home and then share and be vulnerable with all his emotions and what he's going through with his dad like I really had to take extra good care of myself and really put up boundaries and make time for me as well so I could be there to support him better and yeah. having a codependent history that was like that was tough for me but it's it can still be tough for me at times but yeah I was gonna you know, ask like does that is that challenging for you like 
obviously with a therapist role being so human, like I would imagine sometimes you're like, I don't want a human anymore. I don't want a people anymore. Can you like, you know, can we just have like this, I don't know. Like I would imagine you want like that emotional space where you're like, I don't want to be your therapist. And he's like, I'm just trying to tell you that I had a bad day. <laughs> like Totally. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like, like what we're going through now, actually, because um, I'm not commuting anymore. And the car was kind of like my right. time to be yep. human and like, you know, recharge. So now yeah. I've just been developing a habit of either like staying in my office a little longer and like doing something creative or whatever, like journal or whatever to de-stress or just like putting on my headphones and hopping on a, a run and going for a run. And that's kind of like replaced my commute time. So then when I come back, I'm recharged. I filled up my own cup so then I could be more present with him. But, you know, I think empaths, like for anyone listening who identifies as an empath, I feel like they would feel the same way. You don't necessarily have to be a therapist. Just being around people can be draining. And then to have your partner go through something so mm-hmm. challenging, like like a, having a sick parent, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. definitely have to really make a conscious effort to fill your cup. Yeah, and I'd imagine probably even him being in the the health field and especially during COVID, like I like it's he's probably also run down filled with nothing but I mean it is nothing but emergencies for him. So for him to come home mm-hmm. even for you to have some emotional drama where you're like, Oh like he's probably like, I can't deal with this too. Totally. Oh yeah, no, we totally went through that. And like I've been in therapy, but he recently decided to go. Um, I mean, he's always been open to it. He always said, like, if you know, I ever feel like this is like in the beginning of us dating. Um, he said, if I ever feel the need to go, like, I'm gonna go. And after COVID, and once his dad got sick, he's like, I'm going. Nice. <laughs> so I think being in therapy and me being in therapy has really helped nurture our relationship. Yeah, nice. That's so good. So I I will wrap up and ask I think this is this is kind of like going to be like my tagline question so far I think this is kind of how I want to end it because I'm again this is about humanizing therapists and showing the world you know the side of therapists that most people won't get to see in a therapy session so if you could tell if you could legally you know not probably to specific clients but all of your clients or the world anything from a therapist's point of view what would you want to share like as a therapist yeah. and a human mm-hmm. that I'm a fucking human being that I'm not perfect that I slip up that I have tough emotions and I go through really uncomfortable emotions and I don't always deal with them in the best way and that's okay because I'm a human and I'm really I'm just like you like I've gone through similar struggles and like, especially during the pandemic, like I felt the same things you felt and maybe not the same content, but definitely the same emotions. And for anyone listening, if again, if you're on the fence about therapy, go and it's okay if you don't click with the first one, keep trying, keep seeing different therapists because when you click with someone, it's the shit and you're on and your life's gonna change. Yeah, fuck. I like the ending. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're the best. Thank you, Marcus. I'm so glad we connected. Yes. Thank you for being my first guest. That was amazing. You're a legend. Totally likewise. Absolutely likewise. We'll do more of these. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Cool. See ya. Bye. That's it. Uh... I'm just starting. I'm brand new at this. I would love feedback. Uh, Favorite parts, favorite sections, favorite quotes. Fucking hit me up. I would love to see it. I want to engage with you. I want to get better at this for you guys. So let me know how I can do that.